All right, here we are back at the IBS Freedom Podcast Imaginary Studio with Amy Hollenkamp, RD. And I was just telling Amy that this is kind of like New Year Resolution Part 2 in a way, because we know darn well that the most popular New Year's resolution you probably have is that you want to do a detox or a cleanse. So let's talk about what that might actually entail and how to support detoxification and how to cleanse your body for the new year. So Amy, I'm going to kick it off to you for opening remarks. What think you? Well, I think my first thought is how are we going to define what detox is? Because you could go down some rabbit holes try, like defining this. Like, Because in my opinion, you could do like a digital detox um, where you drop your phone and <coughs> you don't groups. Right. Fa- drop your Facebook groups. You could do a detox of draining people that just sort of um, don't really add much to your life or, again, that just stress you out. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of just like, I'm going to drop you because you're stressful. But sometimes you have to do that with certain people. Um, and so... Uh, you know, cutting ties or just taking a break from certain people that seem to just add more stress than joy to your life might be something to consider in a part of a detox. Um, I think just thinking of it as a detox or cleanse of detoxing yourself from being trapped inside all the time, maybe try to walk a little bit more. I mean, you could, you could extend this out a little bit more than just what we typically think of as detox. If we're thinking of it as um, trying to eliminate stressors on the body to some degree versus just viewing it as liver specific or typically how people view it. So I think you could view it in different ways, and I it could be equally as helpful to think about it in that way. But I would imagine a lot of people are coming here for liver detox and yes, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I like the way that you opened us up with that. I think when I picture a cleanse or a detox, and I know that they're not perfectly synonymous, but I'm going to kind of use them synonymously in this episode anyway, because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. Um, I kind of picture like spring cleaning almost, Mm, where you're tidying up, decluttering, and getting rid of some of the garbage. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's a good metaphor in this case for what we're trying to accomplish with a detox. Typically, yes, you can do that by supporting the liver to a large degree, but also there are other organs that help you eliminate and excrete and detoxify. And to your point, if one of the things you need to detoxify is stress or overwhelm or like anxiety or being overworked, then part of that might be a vacation. Yeah. You know, or, or hanging out with friends or like you said, like detoxing some energy vampires out of your life that are more, uh, more stress than joy. Um, so yeah, I think that this could take on, different forms. But let's, let's go back to what people probably thought when they looked at this episode. Um, I think that oftentimes we think about like chemicals, like pesticides, and heavy metals, and like drugs and medications, 
And that's the sort of stuff that we imagine we need to detoxify and clear out of our body. Um, I, I'll share kind of a starting point and then I'll kick it over to the RD in the house to noodle on this initially is I think that doing that sort of a detox needs to be about 90 or 95% focused on two things. Uh, doing your best to avoid the toxin in question or making like greener, cleaner choices when you can and nutritional support. So making sure you have, you know, enough calories, enough protein, B vitamins, minerals, etc. I think if you do those two things really well, you're going to be detoxing like a champion and you probably won't need anything fancier than that, to be quite honest. Uh, but let's open up with the nutrition conversation for detox. If, mm. if I could put the RD in the house on the spot here, um, what, what kind of nutritional considerations do you think people might want to have when they're looking to detoxify? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I know you were already alluding to the fact that having solid nutrition is key to have the resources that your liver and your body needs to, to detox things properly. And I mean, when you look, when people are looking at this through the IBS lens, I think they jump over it or they're viewing nutrition in a different lens of a way to manage symptoms versus a way to optimize. Um, so I, I honestly think just doing some basic chronometer checking and seeing kind of where your micronutrients are falling um, I do think there are some key micronutrients I pulled up to. I have a, a cheat sheet in my program of different nutrients and then food sources of those nutrients um, to consider. But I think, you know, there's a number of B vitamins that are going to be super important for detoxification. So that'd be things like riboflavin, B5, B6, B12, B... Vibroflavin is B2. I don't know why I use the technical term. Um, but magnesium becomes very important. Uh, choline, um, glutathione. Um, and again, like glutathione is a mixture of amino acids. So thinking like of getting a mix of different protein sources so that you can get the, the ingredients to make glutathione. Um, so like one of those would be glycine. I think tends to be a, a, a limiting amino acid in the construction of glutathione. So getting glycine in, eating cruciferous veggies, I think can be important. Um, I forgot to mention this one with all the B vitamins, but um, thiamine, um, it seems to be important for sulfur detoxification. Uh, molybdenum is important as well. Vitamin C, milk thistle, or so, sorry, vitamin C, not milk thistle. Uh, that was, I don't know what that, that was on my I list. I feel like in a way we could make the argument for any vitamin or any mineral right. for detoxification exactly. is that's kind what of I'm what saying. you're getting at. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I have a cheat sheet, but it's pretty much most of the nutrients. Um, yeah. So, you know, from my end, like I said, you might be better off just going to chronometer and looking at that. I do think glutathione is a unique one where sometimes it can be depleted especially if someone's had inflammation for a while um, or again, like who's had a depleted diet for a while. I mean, all these nutrients could be depleted, but it tends to be such a critical player in detoxification. I always view it as kind of the compound when 
drugs or inflammatory compounds or like uh, inflammatory compounds from metabolism or, um, you know, metals and things get into the cell. Basically, glutathione comes and boxes it up. So it's not creating inflammation and messing with the cell. It basically like straight jackets it and is like, no, you stay here and like, don't do anything. Yeah. So that then it can be excreted. Mm. So to me, that's such a critical one that can become depleted. Um, so again, doing things that support that can be important. And like I said, you don't necessarily have to take a glutathione supplement, but making sure you're getting things like glycine is really important. Um, polyphenols are really important in promoting the synthesis of glutathione, um, like or promoting glutathione production. They aren't the actual ingredients, but they promote the production. Um, Magnesium is also really important for glutathione production. Having enough carbs is another thing that seems to be important for glutathione production. Mm. So I think that trying to make sure that, again, you're getting some of these squared away for glutathione production can go a long way. But again, making sure your nutrition is solid would probably help with glutathione production too, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is that, A, all of the vitamins and minerals appear to be important right. for detoxification and supporting the liver, the kidneys, the gut, like all of these detox pathways. Um glutathione, you're right, like it's a combination of three amino acids. So just having a diverse diet and not overly relying on one protein source could mm -hmm. be a good way to frame it. Uh, I just had a new patient more recently. And when we looked at her chronometer, it was real wonky looking, especially mm -hmm. the protein and the amino acids. And then it came out, oh, well, I I up until this point, I believed that the only thing I could tolerate was protein and starch. So mm. she was on like low FODMAP, low residue, low everything diet. Mm. Side note, she's already introducing FODMAPs and doing fine with them. So yes. but uh, she, she was like, Yeah, I thought I could only really tolerate starch and this one like salt fish. And she was eating like 170 grams of protein a day. And it was all just like a handful of amino acids, really, really overrepresentative in there. And it was just a really odd thing to see. Um, so one of the conversations we had was you could probably decrease protein intake because 170 grams for a woman who's like five foot three is yeah. almost definitely overshooting. But also, let's see if we can diversify your protein sources so you're not just getting it from this one thing. Let's see if we can broaden out and have, you know, beef and chicken and turkey yeah. and whatever else. So yeah, work in progress. But that was a conversation I just had recently with someone. Yeah, it's it it in the lens of just thinking about a detox, we typically think of, oh, we gotta remove all these things. We gotta detox from the yes. sugar, we gotta detox from everything. But in reality, from a from a liver support standpoint, you're probably better off thinking of the things you need to add in to get enough nutrition. So focusing on additions becomes way more important, in my opinion, if you truly yes. want to detox. Now, again, if you're eating tons of sugar or something, still coming at it from the lens of, oh, I'm going to add some of these things in that are more nutrient dense would be sort of the lens I would view it. I, I don't know if I would go straight into, okay, I need to cut out all sugar 
more so think about, okay, maybe I'm just filling up uh, the calories that I was eating from sugar in other ways. And maybe there's still a little bit of sugar in there. But focusing again more on the additions is going to bring you way more help detox-wise than focusing on just reducing the sugar. Um, Because again, even reducing the sugar, you might not necessarily be optimizing nutrition. Yeah, true. Well, that can take on many forms. You might have a diet that is arguably a little too high in sugar, but some of that sugar is coming in the form of fruit or chocolate. And then if you go gung-ho and cut out every single morsel of sugar, you could actually be robbing your body of polyphenols and fiber and vitamins and minerals. So it's 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 very rarely this like one-dimensional kind of conversation where yeah. you need to hack out one thing. But again, it does, I get why people get in that headspace because it does go hand in hand with that image I painted of spring cleaning where yeah. you're, you know, you're going through the closets, you're going through the whatever and you're hoeing shit out and you're throwing it away. And chopping things out of your diet and eliminating bad things out of your diet, that that feels like it's in keeping with that theme. It's just right. we're telling you, focus. Uh, okay, um, I'm going to run with this metaphor at this point, because I can't. Um, my poor mom has been battling pantry moths. Did I tell you this? I forget if I told you this off air. They are a nightmare to deal with. They're in everything in her pantry. She's throwing away pretty much all of the food in her pantry right now. If it's not in a can or a glass jar, it's pretty much getting thrown out. And um, she she probably will have a vendetta against all moths for the rest of her life now. Um, but in order to facilitate that cleanup and that detoxification, if you will, one of the things she had to do was she bought a whole slew of glass jars And that way, Mm. any residual moths that are still in the pantry hiding out or anything that might be in any of the products, they won't be able to get into these glass Mm. jars. So it's not just about taking all of the the moth-infested nasty food and throwing it away. She also is needing to bring in new glass jars and new food to replace the existing food. Like you still need a lot of support to make that happen. And I think in this case, yes, your body might benefit from excreting the mercury or the BPA or the pesticide or the whatever. But the way you're going to do that is by bringing in the nutrition, the vitamins, the minerals, even honestly, even fiber. One of the things that's talked about with fiber is that it can provide a raft for things like cholesterol, but also different toxic compounds to basically ride out of the body in your poop. So even something like dietary fiber, it's going to be helpful for the microbiome, certainly, but it actually can be supportive of detoxification in its own right. Yeah, no, totally. I love that image, by the way, of just a little raft carrying toxins out of the body. Um, I picture it like a little cartoon raft. Yeah, it's pretty cute. It's pretty cute. Toxins aren't cute, but it's cute. It's a cute way out, you know? Yeah, yeah, in my mind, in the metaphor you're talking about with spring cleaners, I feel like when you get the nutrients on board, it's like hiring specialists to clean different areas of your house. Like, 
okay, you got the window cleaners on board with certain nutrients. You mm-hmm. have the the hardwood floor cleaners. You're just kind of hiring all this help to make it so that the body is able to just clean everything very quickly and efficiently. Um, that's kind of how I view it, it in your metaphor. Um, it's just like, like you're getting too. you're getting some specialized help and you're getting support so that the process is so smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, it like well, supercharges the process, if that makes and sense. And even, I'll take it one step further. There oh, are yes, going to be things in, again, this is going to be like the biggest metaphor that sprawls the whole episode. It's going to keep going. We're just going to... Yeah, it's just going to keep growing. And it's going to get more absurd, I feel like. Yes, absolutely. The the more But I think it still stands. Um, I would even argue that there are going to be certain parts of your house that you cannot get to on your own Mm -hmm. unless you bring in these special helpers. Right. So like if you have a vaulted ceiling that's 30 feet off the ground and you need to change the light bulb or dust the ceiling fan up there you can't do that safely on your own. You need to bring in the person with the big long pole and the giant ladder to do that. Or like if you need a new roof or if you need new shingles on your roof, most people can't just go up on their roof willy-nilly and do that themselves. You need to hire the roofers to do that for you. So I think, you know, there are going to be detoxification pathways that simply do not work in the absence of these nutrients. So yeah, I actually, I like your version of this even better than the glass jars because I could paint that picture of like, yeah, you could wash your windows on your own, probably. Like, could you get your ass on the roof? I can't, no. Right, or could you wash them as well? You know, I think think that that's the the thing. I think the body also has like plan A or plan B or like, again, we're just going to leave it. It's just going to sit there, you know, Um, until it becomes a bigger problem. Um, But yeah, I, I, I like that. I like the spring cleaning metaphor and I think you could use it in various capacities to explain this. Um, But yeah, I I think to sum, to sum up nutrition is so, so key. I'm realizing I have a little bit of a stuffy nose. I'm like feeling the, I'm feeling a little snotty. Like it's coming on as we're speaking. (laughs) This is primo content right here. I know this is free. This is what everybody needs. I need a detox for my nose. It feels like. Is this your way of saying you're going to pardon yourself to go get a tissue or? No, this was just, this was just me telling you. Just sharing. Okay. Well, you know, excellent. (laughs) Thank you. I, uh, I hear you and you are valid. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But uh, how do I segue off of the snot conversation now? Um, Well, well, honestly, you go ahead. Oh, it's your. Were you going to say something about snot? Because I think you should just go ahead. Well, not directly about snot. Okay. (laughs) My train. So the way my brain works to segue off of this conversation was okay. Well, what is snot made out of? Oh my god! Among other things, there are a lot of disulfide bonds in snot, and then that made me remember to say sulfur is really super mega ultra important for detoxification. Mm. And it honestly scares the willikers out of me to see so many people on a low sulfur diet for a Mm. prolonged period of time for the sake of trying to starve H2S SIBO. Mm. I I don't know if I could say something as simple and one dimensional as please don't do that. But, um, (laughs) but we've talked about this before in previous episodes the low sulfur diet can sometimes be a helpful band-aid for like a week or maybe two. 
but that's about the limit that I would personally feel comfortable with it because you need sulfur for so many things in the body, including the production of mucus, among Mm -hmm. other things, but also you need sulfur to make glutathione. And glutathione is your most abundant intercellular antioxidant. So it's kind of a big deal. It also, um, not glutathione, but the sulfur compound cysteine seems to be helpful for healing leaky gut. So Hmm. that kind of seems important. Um, You know, glutathione itself and NAC, so probably also dietary cysteine, modulate the immune response and are very supportive of immune cells that you want to have around. So like T regulatory cells and TH1 cells, mounting an appropriate antibacterial, antiviral, or antifungal response, or calming down inflammation once it occurs and you're in that recovery period, those parts of your immune system are very dependent on dietary sulfur and glutathione intake. So it's just, it's a real dangerous slippery slope to cut out sulfur for more Mm -hmm. than a week or two even if it is helping with symptom management and you think, ooh, oh gosh, golly gee, I'm starving the SIBO so good, I would really encourage you to try to get sulfur not only back into your diet, but in an abundance because that's another rate-limiting factor for glutathione synthesis is how much cysteine you have available. Right. Um, right. So yeah, just eat, again, getting a diversity of protein sources maybe even supplementing with a little bit of NAC would be good for detoxification for a myriad of different compounds. But again, if you're terrified of sulfur and you're trying to starve hydrogen sulfide producers, that's those two things are going to conflict with each other. Yeah. It's a, it's a good lesson. Another good reminder of the lesson that you can't starve yourself in an effort to starve SIBO. Such a good reminder of that, that example. And in reality, the amount of people that have hydrogen sulfide SIBO is probably pretty small. I know we've talked about that, that it seems to be overdiagnosed. Overblown. I think in some way, if someone had a negative breath test, it was just the sca- like the scapegoat. Well, you must have hydrogen sulfide SIBO. Um, yeah. Well, even now <laughs> with Trio Smart, like I've I've seen more than my fair share number of trio smarts at this point. Yeah. And even with trio smart, I think it's being overdiagnosed. Right. And part of it for me is like calling it hydrogen sulfide SIBO specifically, that is getting overdiagnosed out the wazoo. Now hydrogen sulfide production and like how much is normal. Right. That, I think that's still a point of debate. And actually I'll share this with you, my friend. Um, I came across some interesting studies. So one of the, one of the kind of holy crap moments I have with students in FODMAP Freedom is when we get to, there's one lecture that I call Four Molecules We Love to Hate. And it's, I talk about hydrogen, methane, hydrogen sulfide, and histamine from mm. from the microbes, that is. So like right. not histamine made from the mast cells, like microbially derived histamine. Mm. And one of the big kind of holy crap moments for the hydrogen sulfide is I share that there's actually quite a lot of research uh, hydrogen sulfide being good and protective. And one of the many things that it's starting to get pressed for is that it can actually help your body detoxify. Mm. So it starts conjuring up some really interesting theories, none of which I know to be true at this point. But, you know, it's we know that hydrogen sulfide is 
anti-inflammatory and neuroprotective in low doses when it's produced in the body. Um, And to be clear, your cells make hydrogen sulfide in a small amount and the bacteria do in a larger amount, presumably. Mm. So I think a lot more of the research that focuses on the good redeeming qualities of H2S are focused more on the hydrogen sulfide that your cells are producing versus what's getting made in the gut. Right. But nonetheless, we know that this molecule is very protective, anti-inflammatory, neuroprotective, liver protective in low physiologic amounts. And there is some data that shows that it can help detoxify and bind things like, like metals like mercury. So it almost paints this interesting theory of like, what if everybody with honest to goodness hydrogen sulfide overgrowth in the gut, what if those are the people who need the detoxification help and their microbiome is increasing hydrogen sulfide production to help them detoxify? Whoa. (laughs) I don't see this is the fun thing about science. You can come up with ludicrous statements like that. And then science is all about exploring ideas like that. So I don't know if that's true, but it's a really neat hypothesis to pause and think about for a nanosecond. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I think in, in the practical tool from all this, like you mentioned earlier, is just don't limit uh, sulfur for any period of time um, longer than like a week. Sometimes again, like just to see if it might be a factor, like almost as a diagnostic tool to cut it out and see, but yeah, I I agree. It's not the solution to the problem. Yeah. That's the thing. It, I think that you're spot on. I think that you can use it as a like rule it in, rule it out sort of Mm -hmm. thing, um, and use it as a diagnostic tool, but it's not actually a viable treatment. Right. And we have no proof that we could starve any of the things we think we starve, you're probably just starving yourself in the process. Um, Again, sulfur is really important for, for a lot of things, but among them detoxification. Mm. Um, Now, cruciferous vegetables have some sulfur in them, but not as much as like meat, for example. Uh, But cruciferous veggies are also really wonderful for detoxification purposes. So if you're going to emphasize one single food group or, not a food group, I guess, but if you're going to emphasize any one group of foods in your diet, cruciferous veggies would be a wonderful candidate to consider. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also makes me wonder too, like the people that feel that they have a, a hydrogen sulfide scenario and they say, oh, when I eat cruciferous veggies, I feel worse. I wonder a little bit about the microbiome component or like the FODMAP, like there's so many different things that could cause reactions too. that sometimes if you get singularly locked in that it's like, this is the problem or this is the problem in reality. Again, it's not, it's not the problem. It's not the, it's not the thing that's driving the reaction. Um, So yeah, I, I I think uh, the cruciferous vegetable, having some of those in your diet is a really good, good idea if you're doing detox type work. Um, and there's a lot of different options too. So like if you might, if you don't tolerate one thing at the time being, you could work in something else. Um, but yeah, I, that is a definitely a good food group to emphasize. Um, but yeah, I, 
do you feel like we've covered? I'm trying to think if there's any like other bigger nutrition. I have one more. Um, and I think it's appropriate that this one comes at the end of the nutrition conversation rather than the beginning. Um, if you, and, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is not going to be appropriate for everybody. And I do not recommend this for everybody, but mm. if you really want to rev up and turn on your detoxification enzymes really powerfully and do a little bit of like cellular cleanup. So the idea of, of decluttering and dusting when you're doing, you know, a spring cleaning kind of endeavor, the cellular version of that called autophagy, if you want to do both things simultaneously, fasting is a really great way to do that. Mm. Now, again, I don't recommend fasting if you're not reasonably nutrient replete. Like if you're not right. eating enough food, please don't do a fasting protocol and think that that's going to be good for you. But if you are generally eating enough calories and have a pretty balanced diet and you feel healthy and strong and not like weak and depleted, you could experiment with a day or two or perhaps three of fasting. And that, again, that's going to really rev up your detox enzymes like you wouldn't believe. And mm -hmm. it's going to do that cellular cleanup process called autophagy. Yeah. And you were thinking like bigger fasting than I was thinking of, like with the couple days, which I think could be really therapeutic. But there are also some research too that even really moderate changes that might be helpful um, from a fasting standpoint, even having like a longer fast between dinner and breakfast seems to have some health benefits. I There was some study, I, it might have been... I kind of want to say it was in breast cancer patients, but I could be totally wrong. Maybe it was assessing breast cancer rate. I can't remember exactly, but I know that there was positive outcomes even with a shorter fast between dinner and bedtime. And I think it was only like 13 hours or something or 14 hours. So like dinner something, and breakfast, you mean dinner, and dinner and breakfast. Sorry. Yeah. So from when you eat dinner till when you wake up and eat breakfast, sometimes playing around with that, it doesn't even have to be 16, eight. Like you might just notice you feel a little bit better with a little bit longer fast between dinner and breakfast. Now, again, like what Nikki said, I 100% agree. Nutrient repletion seems to make fasting easier. Like if you're in a state that's been really nutrient depleted for a while, some of those individuals react very poor to fasting, um, especially in the, in the gut health space. Uh, when nutrition really hasn't been focused on heavily and then they're, you're fasting or something, eating two meals a day and not getting enough nutrition chronically, that's where it starts to become an issue. And now again, like if, if there is an end to the fast, that's, that's where it becomes helpful. But I think a lot of times working in the IBS space, there's no end to the fast. It's just like you're fasted, but you're still always kind of in an energy depleted state which tends to stress the body out more. Um, well, and there's this obsession uh, or conversation about fasting periods and the MMC. So yes, to mention yes. that briefly, and I was telling you this on Marco Polo really recently, I was kind of just casually skimming through some of the SIBO online groups, just seeing like, what are people talking about right now? Like what, what kind of things are people looking for answers to? And honestly, I was doing this to research ideas for YouTube videos for the coming year. And just like, what do people want to learn about? 
And I saw this one really depressing post. A a lady was saying, I don't know how to do like the four hours of fasting in between each meal for the MMC. I'm feeling really stuck. I feel like I'm not getting enough calories. Like, what do I do? And these well-intentioned knuckleheads in the comments. (laughs) That's all I could say. Well-intentioned knuckleheads in the comments are telling her, well, I only eat two meals a day and maybe you should too. And well, I only eat one meal a day and maybe you should too. And I was just like, sweet Jesus. The woman just said she's not getting enough calories and she's feeling overwhelmed and daunted by this. And then you're telling her to basically eat less. Right, right. That's not helpful, guys. So yeah, it's... I I have one video on YouTube already. And actually, the second one I just filmed more recently should be posted by the time this episode goes live, mm-hmm. covering this topic. But basically, to give away the point of the videos, I suppose, you need to focus on nourishing yourself first and foremost, before you worry about the fasting period. And to be quite honest, I'm not convinced that the four hour fasting period for MMC function actually matters. Because I healed my gut. I'm pretty sure I had all the symptoms you guys had. I had severe bloating to a point where somebody asked me if I was pregnant at a conference once. I lived the nightmare. Severe bloating and abdominal distension, diarrhea all the time. I was chasing my tail with leaky gut this, leaky gut that. I was restricting my diet to basically nothing. I did AIP before it was cool. So I was in your shoes and I healed my gut 100% without ever knowing that the MMC existed and I did not change my meal pattern. I would eat breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack every single day and I still healed my gut. So I'm actually not convinced that the four-hour fasting thing is really that critical for MMC function. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's, I, it's funny you bring this up because I was literally – this morning responding to a question where someone was saying they wanted to have tea or something between their meals and they weren't sure if it was going to disrupt the MMC. And basically I responded back with a similar thing. Like I've seen people who snack and seem to get better just fine. And then other people that fast and feel good. And it probably takes a degree of experiment experimenting and seeing kind of what works. Fasting could work super well for one person and be horrible for the next person. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to experiment and, and see how your body reacts and not have this idea in your head, this rigid idea that you have to do it. Um, yeah, but that's what, the, that's what the SIBO space does is they put the rigid idea that you have to do it to heal but I agree with you. I, I wonder a lot about that as well. Like in theory, it, it might make sense. But in reality, I does it? <laughs> and, and I think it, I think especially when people are fasting to the point where their nutrition suffers, that's usually what I see is most of my clients that are fasting are not getting enough. Most of my clients that aren't fasting are not getting their nutrition hit. Let alone the people who are trying to fast. Right. When you throw fasting in the mix, it makes things more complicated. And I'll always tell people if they're curious about fasting, that you need to be in a nutrient replete state to tolerate fasting. But sometimes for a, for a little bit of time too, like just getting up to a nutrient replete state and then doing fasting, your body might not like that. If it's been in kind of a, a more starved state for a while of nutrients, you might need to like just have your body be in like a low stress state from a nutrition standpoint, you might not get the benefits of fasting until you 
become replete for like some months and then you can try fasting. So that's something to consider too. If fasting doesn't work now, you could try it again. If it doesn't work later on, it might just not be a good fit for you. Well, you touched on two things there. Um, one is it. So there's the conversation of one tool is not going to be appropriate or helpful for every single person, even if they have right. the same diagnosis. So one person with SIBO might do great with fasting. One person with SIBO feels terrible when they fast, but also your body changes all the time. So what was appropriate for me back when I had gut problems was the six small meal a day idea. Right. Like if I didn't do that, I would get hypoglycemic. I'd get like shaky and woozy mm-hmm. and get a hunger headache and just kind of feel blah. So I learned through trial and error that I needed to do six small meals a day instead of three square meals. But that's not what I need to do anymore. Now I feel best when I do three square meals a day and maybe like a snack in the afternoon. And, but I don't overthink it. If I want to have popcorn at night when we're watching a movie or if I want to eat something, I no joke. Okay, secrets being told right here on the podcast. And unfortunately, my husband does the audio editing and there's a chance that he's going to hear this and then he's going to sulk. I went out to the UPS store yesterday. It was like 3, 3.30. And one of my favorite places is two doors down from the UPS store. It's a place that has gluten-free baked treats and and they do like coffee and stuff too. But for some reason, they're only open in the afternoon. And I almost always go to the UPS store in the morning for some reason, like before my appointments for the day. So it was a delight that I was there at 3.30 in the afternoon and this little coffee cafe thing was open. So I, I just walked in, had an eclair. I paid cash. I did not get a receipt because I didn't want any of my family to know that I ate it without them. And I sat there and I so enjoyed that damn eclair. Oh. <laughs> did it mess up my fasting? Theoretically? Sure. Like, did I care? Absolutely not. It was amazing. And to get right. a gluten-free eclair, you can't do that every day. So, so right. yeah. anyway, so I still occasionally have something that's not in my normal schedule. But, you know, now it's more appropriate for me to do this version of eating. And maybe 10 years down the road, I'll find that there's something else that works better for me when when I'm in my, well, I guess I'll be in my late 40s by then, 10 years from now. Um, so anyway, so your body changes. And that's okay. And your needs will change. The other thing you touched on there was this idea kind of of resiliency, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Like you can't eat the appropriate amount of calories for like a week and then expect your body to be like, cool, we're good now. You might actually have to replenish nutrients and give your body fuel for quite a while before it's comfortable with the idea of fasting. Um, the the, The related note that I had to share on that is also just this idea of stressors on the body again. Mm. So I've shared before, I got pretty into fasting before the pandemic. And I felt like a million bucks, like my brain was sharp as a tack, I had energy like to burn, I felt amazing. And then 2020 happened, and everything went in a dumpster and was lit on fire. And I tried fasting a couple of different times in like 2020, 2021. And it, every single time, it did not work. My body was not in a state to tolerate that. And I don't think it was from nutritional stress. I think it was just stress chemistry. 
and like the cortisol of it all, we were all fried. And I, I think that the stress chemistry made it difficult slash impossible for me to do my fasting. It wasn't until I think the first time I successfully did another three day fast like I used to, I think the first time I did that post pandemic was like late 2022. So I only regained the ability to do this about a year ago. Um, so yeah, I think this idea of resiliency and being in like a pretty good place so that your body feels safe enough. Yeah, to surrender to this process. I think that that's a point to be made too. Yeah. And again, like, like you said, even having the fuel to do the things that it could do during fasting, same thing with like, you need the, the resources on board stored to detox. It's like the same, like if you need the resources and the body needs to feel like it's not operating from an empty cup. (laughs) So yeah, I, I think fasting such a unique one where it's interesting you used to have to snack because I was the same way. I had to snack when I was pregnant, holy cow, and breastfeeding, holy cow. Oh, like yeah. I had to eat so much, so I couldn't get it in in my meals. We we were joking at various points that you just needed to drink lard when you were breastfeeding because <laughs> right. the calorie exactly. need was just so intense. Right, right. And when I played tennis, it was, it was ridiculous. I swear right. I needed like 3,500 to 4,000 calories a day. It was Picture crazy. It. Picture I have the solution Oh, God. Now peanut butter and lard. Oh, God. You just like mix that together and and chow down on that. Maybe some coconut mana mixed in. What else could... I don't know. Maybe some polyphenols in there or something. Like maybe some dark chocolate. This is purely for the calories, baby. But but yeah, your body changes and that's okay. And what you need today might not be appropriate for you tomorrow and vice versa. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe one of the most important lessons we can learn in this health journey, honestly. There's no perfect diet or perfect strategy or perfect whatever. Um, I think another, so kind of now hopping off of the fasting thing, although we could easily talk about it for hours. um, Another thing to consider for the overall detoxification idea is sleep. So not only from like a lifestyle cleanup kind of mentality, but they actually say that your brain kind of cleans up and detoxifies itself as you sleep at night. And you're, you're kind of pruning those old synapses that you no longer need. And you're doing the autophagy recycling kind of thing. Um, So just getting enough rest is detoxifying in and of itself in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. I, the sleep thing. So interesting because again, it affects how everything functions. Um, I, I remember just early on when I was like trying to figure out the OCD scenario postpartum, I remember reading that, um, which makes total sense that lack of sleep leads to more like intrusive thoughts and not being able to leave an intrusive thought. So like a scary, what if, when you're in a like a more of a less sleep or sleep deprived state, your bot your brain wants to ruminate on that one thing and can't leave, which is essentially what OCD turns into is you're hooking onto one thing and you can't let it go. Um, but your brain does that when you lose sleep. That's why I'm like so many new moms and stuff struggle with what if scenarios yeah. and struggle with more intense anxiety and OCD postpartum. It's that's a huge reason why it's like, you're not getting sleep. Your brain's not functioning. Right. And 
Yeah, well, two two thoughts. So then we take a population of people like our listeners who, frankly, most of you are already freaked out about something, whether it's the SIBO yeah. boogeyman or the candida boogeyman or the leaky gut or the histamine or the whatever. And you already have that fear and anxiety and and you're trying to figure out your symptoms and feel better. And then heaven forbid you pile that on top of a lack of sleep. And now you take somebody who was maybe like casually interested in candida and they they turn into this like, this is it, this is the answer. And you and it's it easily becomes more of an obsession as opposed to having it in the context of everything else. Right. Um I will make the point too that your nervous system controls everything. We like to talk about the gut brain axis and the vagus nerve, of course, but honestly, your immune system, your hormones, your gut lining, your skin, your liver, your big toenail, you name it, and it's controlled by your nervous system. So when your nervous system is not well taken care of, for example, because of not enough sleep, just everything kind of goes to hell in a handbasket, to be quite honest with you. So, yeah. um, and I know that there are people who struggle with insomnia and they have great sleep hygiene and they try to manage their stress and they, they move their body and they do all the right things and they still have insomnia. And we just recorded two episodes about sleep about what, maybe a month, month and a half ago. I think we posted those episodes so you can yeah. go check those out. But I think for a lot of us, myself totally included, <laughs> ratting myself out. Um, it's more a matter of just prioritizing sleep mm -hmm. and building healthier habits and making healthier decisions. Do I need to scroll on YouTube and watch K-pop after K-pop after K-pop dance video? No. But do I do that before I go to bed every single night? Pretty much. I don't so know. Like, does that Does that calm you? Does it amp you up? Because I know... The bad no, habit, does it amp you Yeah, up? it's like a hobby. It's it's okay. like a happy hobby for me. I know, but so I, I've i gotten in the habit because the Bengals, my football team, my beloved Bengals, they're kind of in a weird spot currently um, season-wise, but hopefully they can kind of continue winning. But I've been watching them at night because they're having late games because they're good. Like they've been good the last couple of years. So the better the teams are, the more like late night games they have. Oh, I did so, not know this. So man, that just juices me up. And then I like struggle to calm down. <laughs> I'm like, so, I'm in a tizzy before it's like 11, 15, an hour past my bedtime. And I'm like, <gasps> like, you know, like I'm so like, yeah, like surprised. football is not a relaxing sport in general to watch, but they also just don't know how to win handedly. Like every win seems to be close. Yeah. Ugh. Well, twofold. A, I'm surprised that I don't get more like insane Marco Polos from you at, at like 1115 at night. Like, Oh my God, this just happened. So a, I'm surprised that you're like keeping a lid on it that much. Um, but it makes me think, I mean, how old was CC? Like two, three months old. You were in the thick of parenting. Yeah. And poor Amy said, you sent me a Marco Polo and you were like, yay, I'm gonna at like Armand had the baby or your in-law, somebody had the baby. And you were like, Oh, my God, I finally get time to myself. And you like, had everything all set up and you're gonna watch the Bengals play the bills. And you were oh, yeah, so excited. Yeah. And it was like, 
me time. This is the first time I've done this since Cece was born. Yay, this is so great. And then it was the game where that Bills player, like, did he almost die or did he die for I a minute? I think he and then died and then they something? resuscitated him. So yeah, the great, it was like, it was the craziest it, game ever. Right. It was like five minutes into the game. And then you're like staring at the screen like, and and these poor announcers don't know what's going on. And they're like, this is a horrible situation. This is, and so they're just repeating themselves over over and over again. And then they're like zooming in on the field and the players are like crying. It, it was literally just a, it was a, it was, it was a dumpster the most fire. unrelaxing game. Right ever right <laughs> and again yes. here you were like three months postpartum you're like yay this is like my bubble bath gut this is gonna right. be great no <sighs> a for effort a for effort um yeah yeah but uh, i guess my point that brought us to that conversation was i think for a lot of us myself included we just need to prioritize sleep a little bit more so so I on some level I don't have a problem with me watching K-pop before bed, even though it's screen time and that yeah. could be frowned upon, and maybe I should be doing yoga or something instead. But what does happen is I watch so much K-pop that then I push my bedtime back. Right. And, right. And so I'm I'm taking minutes out of my day that should be spent sleeping and I'm using them to watch another stray kids video on right. Studio Choom or whatever it might be. Like right. That's my beef with myself here is that um, I I attest to the fact that K-pop is therapeutic and you're not going to convince me otherwise, but I probably shouldn't watch that late at night to the right. point where it bleeds into your sleep. sleep time. Um, yeah. 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 And that's I do a that choice I could make. Sometimes I'm doing that now with like football that I it's not the Bengals, but it'll be a really good game and I'll get really sucked into it. And then I'm like, why am I doing this on not the bangles? Um, because then I'm still revved up. And then a lot of times I'll be like, oh, I'll watch it until 1030. And it's like, oh, no, I'll watch it till 1045. But like by that that point, I'm in. Like it's only yeah, going to be another 20 minutes. The end of the game. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's funny. But I think you're right. Probably most of it's a priority thing. I do think as all these things interact, which I know we talked about on the sleep episode, I find that a lot of times if you get nutrition squared away, sleep gets a lot better. Um, so again, it's another thing to repleting yourself of nutrition helps your body be able to sleep and helps your body kind of stay calm and relaxed at night. Um, so just another thing to think about too with yeah. how these things interact. But I think the sleep conversation is a really good point, like at, trying to prioritize and add sleep in into the mix would help. And I don't think it has to be anything crazy either. You could focus on nutrition first. You could focus on bumping bedtime back like 15 to 30 minutes just to start. Um, But yeah, Yeah, I I, go. I think one of the jives that we're given off here is that we're not recommending any like super mega strict protocol. Like it's 50 minutes into the episode and we have yet to say that you all just need to do a whole 30 and be done with it, where you all need to do AIP and be done with it. Like, that's no. Um, I think, again, it's like nutrition 101, nutrition for human beings is yeah. priority uno. Um, things like movement and sweating and sleep are really mm. important. Um, why don't we wrap up, though, with a little bit of a conversation of avoidance? Because mm-hmm. as I mentioned at the very beginning, I think that to do a good detox or a good cleanse, 
you need to focus 90 plus percent of your effort on nutrition, which we covered, and avoidance strategies. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to open with a story I have shared many times on this podcast, but it's my podcast and I get to share it again. And I know poor Amy's going to drool because you've heard this so many times. Uh, the story of the uh-huh. naturopaths. So uh, I yes, used to go yes. to an environmental, uh, an environmental medicine conference every year. It was wonderful. I loved it. It was a great event. Um, I haven't gone out since COVID because it merits a plane ride, but um, it was a really great event. It was always deeply terrifying because they would tell us about the science of the boogeyman of like, here's why phthalates are slowly killing you. And here's why bisphenol is slowly killing you. So it was terrifying. But (laughs) these were the people who were like really into detox. You know, these Mm. are the practitioners doing like chelation therapy in their office. And understandably, you know, you you would kind of like scan the audience and you would see like, oh, every single person has a glass water bottle or a metal water bottle, like not a plastic water bottle among you in this group. And, um, you know, and like the lunches were always labeled like organic. Okay, cool. Yeah. But then you try to coordinate to go out to a damn dinner with these people. You know, you get a gaggle of like five or 10 people together and you want to go out for dinner And dear Lord, it was impossible because every one of them is anal and they won't go anywhere unless it is a certified organic restaurant. And then when you go to the one and only certified organic restaurant in the town, then they have a million questions for the poor waiter or waitress. Well, is this 100% grass fed or is it grass fed and then grain finished? It's like, she doesn't know. Right, right. She doesn't care, quite frankly. Was she butchering this cow? Was she raising this cow? Like, oh, you're such a pain in the neck. But I guess my point is to open the conversation of avoidance is I am of the mentality that some degree of exposure is a given with the world the way it is now. The goal is not to get to zero. I think that trying to get to zero exposure is kind of ridiculous and it makes you an anal insufferable person to dine with. So if we could all just agree, this is kind of like nutrition, 90% of the time, Eat, eat the healthy thing, eat the fruits and vegetables, try to get enough fiber, try to get enough protein, whatever it might be. But 10% of the time, if you're at UPS and it's after lunch and they have the eclair that you want, go and eat the eclair. Similarly, try to clean up your world and like reduce exposure, filter your air, filter your water, you know, don't microwave in plastic for the love of God. Do that 90% of the time hmm. and then 10% of the time, go wild and eat at a non-organic restaurant. Right. <sighs> That's right. crazy. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, cleaning up what you're putting on your body too. So like uh, lotions, shampoo. Um, and again, like there could be a few products too that you just generally like that aren't, you know, it's like, that's fine and too. Maybe you, maybe you limit them. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just like, okay, you you took out 90%, but you keep the 10% in. Like, I, I think that that you can find balance in the strategy like you're talking about. Yeah. Where it doesn't have to be everything. But, you know, make the cuts that you can and just kind of move on from there. I don't think you have to really get to the nitty gritty. Because I think the 90%, even 80%, like the 80 to 90% can be kind of easy. <laughs> but there could be a few things that would really affect your life to to make to switch like again never going out to an organic 
a non-organic restaurant again would really affect your life. Whereas like swapping out your moisturizer, you know, maybe there's some issues with that. Like you have to find one that works for your skin, but like, it's not that big of a deal. Exactly. Um, it's the, it's the degree of which it's going to affect your life. Um, that I think you have to take into account. Try to find an account right now. I'm not going to say the name of this account because I don't, I want to, um, throw shade at a creator, but as an example, hold on. Where are you? Where are you woman? Uh, there's, there's a detoxification expert that I started following. Okay, here we go. So I'm not going to name names because that's, that's not where we're about here. But um, she's a, she was a toxicologist. And then mm-hmm. she's kind of gone more like the hippy dippy way of yeah. things. I, I follow her account. It's interesting. I don't really get too lost on it. But this is a great example where she's in a field where she knows too much about this. Honestly, she's going in the direction of insufferable anal doofus, in my opinion. Like I would hate to get dinner with her. Right. But for example, so like sometimes she has good ideas and sub swaps, but for two examples of her recent posts, she had a, a, an Instagram post about bad deodorants and she put native on the list of like bad bad swap this out and she only approves of like two brands of deodorant for the record but then people in the comments were like native was so close to being good but they put fragrance in it uh it's like but what like she put it in the same infographic as like secret and teen spirit and it's like these are not the same right right like would you rather the person gets off the aluminum deodorant Ed goes to native that has fragrance in it. Right. Or would you rather scare the bejesus out of people, make it feel too difficult to make the swap? Oh, they can't get that one particular brand and then they're paralyzed and they do nothing and they stay using the secret. Right. You know, it's, it's, but similarly, she had another post recently. Is the green pan really non-toxic? And she was poking holes at like the green non-teflon green pans yeah and i was like i just i shook my head i was like right. we have a green pan i'm gonna keep right. it i think it's better than teflon right i'm gonna right. use it and i'm not gonna worry about it but she had a couple of reasons why it wasn't good enough for her standards i'm just like god you're gonna make this so much more scary and complicated than it needs to be and you're right. just gonna scare the bejesus out of people and i just i don't like that delivery of this information Again, if you can make the swap from Teflon to a green pan or Teflon to, you know, um, cast iron or stainless steel, wonderful. You know, if you can swap out the Bath and Body Works lotion for something a little bit cleaner, right? great. But you don't have to go full on 100% crunch mode to right, the point right. of, yeah. You don't have to try to, you don't have to be perfect in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I I wholeheartedly agree. (sighs) And and like I said earlier, two things that I think are really doable for a lot of people are filtering your air and filtering your water. Mm -hmm. 
So even before you get to the lotions and potions and perfumes and stuff, you might want to just make some of those changes and like get an air filter, even if it's not a fancy one, just get like a HEPA air filter from Home Depot and yeah. set that up in your house and filter your air or, you know, get some sort of water filtration device. Um, RO is fantastic if you can do it, but if you can't do RO, if you're renting or something, you could get a Berkey or maybe there, there are some other ones that might be okay too, the pitcher style. Um, yeah. But those are two really good places for most people to start even before you get into the nitty gritty of all the chemicals. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree. Yeah, we have a Berkey. I've always liked it. Um, mm. But yeah. I think there's some issues like people talk shit about Berkey. Yeah, because they I think it's something like they either don't, I think they won't let people test their product or like they don't, they don't make a point to get like third party testing done. Yeah, and that's sketch. Yeah, it is. I'm just hoping but, I'm just hoping they're legit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. At this point. All well, right. the thing is, eventually, Mike and I want to do RO and right. just kind of dry, but we rent. So right. there's, we can't install an RO filtration right. unit on this house. Like that's right. not our house. So, you know, if you're renting, I think the Berkey is a great solution. We don't right. need to nitpick it to death and debate all of the little nuances. I think it's better than drinking the tap water, especially, right. especially if you're in North Carolina and you have PFAS, the Gen X spills, not all that far, a couple hours away from me. So, Hey, we just had that train derailment. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio's uh, on the map you should have been you toxins. should have been in the crunchy uh the crunchy moms cincinnati group during that de- during that fiasco because it was terrible but but eh. the the good news about our water here like our our um what is it like a water treatment plant like uh, our water treatment municipality really, might be the word you're looking yeah for. our our water treatment's really really good and they were doing like tons of testing now again i still would want to treat it myself just yeah, for like just extra to be safe but um yeah there was a lot of confusion with all that and again like i think that there's a level of uncertainty you just have to go into like yeah. you know with spills and environmental toxins it's just like you said there's always going to be a degree of it and if you can't avoid it you do or try to circ- circumvent it but the degree of which i think some of the people in in the group that i was in was just like whoa, this is like, do we need to be making it quite as big of a deal? And maybe I'm wrong, but I was like, whoa, this is intense. Well, I think there's also, there's a difference between making it a big deal and losing your ever-loving mind. Right. That's the, that's to, a like, good point. You can be deeply concerned and still articulate and like calm, cool, and collected and still right. voice a concern versus what we tend to see more often. And I could picture, and I remember you telling me about it at the time. Um, but what was happening was more of like really frantic energy and right. like, I'm, I'm going to be terrified for the sake of being terrified versus having like really good, solid reason to be that terrified. And it was very like squirrely and frantic. Like there were people in that group, right. Who were saying that they were contemplating moving right away yes. or like yes. immediately leaving the state and going on a vacation, like right. immediately to get right. away. It's like, Whoa, that, maybe not. Yeah. And people were like not going outside for days on end. In reality, this gets a little nitty gritty, but the, the wind kind of blew it away. 
because they did a burn. They the the government burned everything, which again like made all the fumes go up. They actually kind of blew more west of Cincinnati. That's like again what I'm told, but you still have, you know, like we're not going to go outside for days and like there was just a there were, like you said there was a lot of just like total meltdown energy versus let's try to get valuable information and make yeah. decisions that you know are reasonable yeah and good for my family or whatever i think again it, it just like you said it seemed like we're leaving the state and never coming back fleeing. like it, right <laughs> we're fleeing we're refugees um yeah. but yeah it 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 did get a little intense for sure yes. um well my friend I think that we've covered a lot of it. Um, let me, let me, I'll put you on the spot for one final question. Oh, we'll, we'll keep it short. Cause I know it's been about an hour now. Um, if you were stranded on a desert Island that was full of toxins and you could only bring one supplement with you, what would you take? And briefly why go. It's a really, really good question. Probably glutathione. Okay. Just because I think it's it's such an important antioxidant and so important for detox, um, that would be my number one reason or number one thing I would bring. Would you have a number two if the gods allowed you to have a number two? Hmm. I don't know if I would maybe do... like a B complex or something like something that could kind of cover some bases if I couldn't yeah. get all the the diversity of the nutrients maybe. Yep. That's, that's a good point. Maybe something like that would be okay. what I would, what I would think. Those are solid. Um, I, I'm tempted to follow suit on the B complex one, especially if we're going with the idea that it's a desert Island and maybe you're only eating coconuts and papayas or something then the B-complex is probably the smartest thing to do in this exact scenario. Is the desert island, did they just have a train derailment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> right. and the government lights it on fire, right. and you're the only person living <laughs> right. on this island. Right, right. Um, okay. Well, not wanting to copycat you, I will ask myself the same question. Hey, self, what would you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I would do NAC. Right, because then you're getting it's it's kind of the precursor for glutathione in a lot of respects, and it seems to have some antioxidant like detoxy qualities in and of yeah. itself. So I feel like I would do NAC, and my rudder up if I had the ability to bring two would actually be Saint John's Wort. Mm. The reason why you frequently see do not take Saint John's Wort with this medication is because St. John's wort is an excellent detoxifying herb mm -hmm. and it speeds up a lot of your detox enzymes and facilitates the removal of chemicals from the body. So if you're taking a prescription medication and you need a certain dose in your body to accomplish the goal, speeding up detox would be a very, very bad thing, right? Because right? then you're just going to excrete everything you're taking and your drug isn't going to work. But the reason why it's contraindicated for virtually every prescription medication on planet Earth is the exact reason I would take it to the desert island because right. it can kind of speed up that removal process a bit and facilitate detoxification. No, I love that idea. Um, 
We'll get the, yeah, B, the B vitamin actually makes more sense on the desert island kind of scenario. Deserted desert island at that. Yeah. Um, with a train derailment. Yes. <laughs> with a train derailment and the government is lighting it on fire and you're um, the only one on this island. I only have one other thing that I, I was wanting to, to mention to you as a proposition, as you will. Um, oh. So we need to meet soon. We've been talking about this for a while. We do. I feel like we should meet for, well, we have to talk about it, but I think it'd be fun to meet for IBS Awareness Month, which would be April, which would be April, but we have to plan something for it. Yes. (gasps) Well, we'll have to think. We'll have to think. Maybe someone could give us some ideas of what we should do. Well, hold on. There might be an idea that I had previously that I could revisit. Hold on. Is this the Pickle Festival? Yes. Okay. Okay. The Mount. uh, Hold on. Mount (laughs) Olive Pickle Festival. Because we are just ridiculous enough to go to that pickle festival and make it the pickliest pickle festival there. I think we go to the pickle festival and ask everybody about IBS and poop. Yes. (gasps) Yes. <gasps> and then there's so many possibilities. Um, yes, Amy, my darling, my sweet. April 27th is the Mount Olive Pickle Festival in Mount Olive, North Carolina. That might need to be it. Excellent. What if people from that are listening go to the Mount oh. Olive uh, Pickle Fest looking for And then we'd be us. like the heroes of the town because we <laughs> brought people to the Pickle Festival. They right. would be like, wow, our attendance is so great this year. Why? This is going to be like the Hallmark movie version they, of us going to the Pickle yeah. Festival, saving the exactly. town from bankruptcy. Exactly. <gasps> we, and we're like celebrities right. the, at the Pickle Festival. I think this could be an epic way to meet in person, celebrate IBS Awareness Month, get us some tasty pickles. My mom will totally vomit because she hates pickles, but that's even better. Um, this is stupendous. I'm game. Okay. We'll yes. I just think that that would be fun. We we have to we have to make waves at the pickle festival. <laughs> no, no weirder words have ever been uttered than we need to make waves at the pickle festival. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't know how to wrap us up any better than that, folks. Remember, we are on the Instagram. I'm the self-declared but totally still valid gut microbiome queen on Instagram and YouTube. And Amy can be found on Instagram (laughs) at the less fun but also true Amy underscore Hollenkamp underscore RD. That's where you'll find me on Instagram. Yes. That's right. See, see you on the internet. And we will join you next week back here for a super fun, super awesome guest interview with somebody you probably have heard of. Stay tuned.